Everybody in the little town where Hank Parker grew up knew that Hank's dad, Moe, was the town drunk. But he still had friends who never gave up on him, including one friend who dropped by the house one Saturday afternoon. Here's Moe Parker's son, Hank. He said, Mo, I wanted to talk to you, but I see you got Hank here with you, and uh, I'm not going to bother your father-son time, but Mo, I want to leave you with one thought. If you died today, where would you spend eternity? And my dad was about half drunk, and I heard him say later that he had drank the rest of the bottle of alcohol and opened another one and could not get drunk enough to get that thought off his mind. This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. We'll hear about the dramatic turnaround in Mo Parker's life, and we'll meet his son, Hank, today. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. So, this is for real, right? The rod and reel answer to Michael Jordan. That's what it says right here. That's the guy we got today? I'm just telling you, Bob, there is a big difference in fishing with a true professional fisherman and just being a good amateur. If you were to play basketball uh, and uh, have a little shoot around with Michael Jordan, you would soon learn there is a big difference. Between my game and his. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that is true of our guest here on the broadcast today, especially when it comes to bass fishing. And and help our listeners understand, because some of them are not fishermen or fisherwomen. They've never been to a pond with a rod and a reel, and they're going... So you want me to listen to a a guest who's a pro fisherman? Well, you're going to hear a compelling story of how the God of the universe created a young man to use for his purposes, but he didn't take the normal route (laughs) to find that purpose. And we're we're going to listen to Hank Parker's story today. Welcome to the broadcast, Hank. Well, it is certainly a privilege to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, and I thought Bob was actually going to ask you just about when you had me on your your fishing show. Oh, I was going to get there because he came back. <laughs> he came back bragging about. Oh, I was not bragging. He said I could do that. I could be just like Hank Parker. Oh, That's what he was telling no, us. No, I did not say that, Hank. I came back and I said there is a big difference between someone who has won the national championship of bass fishing twice. And the rest of us who grew up on little lakes and streams around the country. We should explain. You have a a television show where you go, you take people fishing on your show, right? I had Dennis Rainey as a guest. Now, how big is that? And he did well. Let me tell you, he's being modest. He took me to a fish hatchery. It was a great place. We were fishing in a great place, no doubt. Hank, I have to ask you this. You had an ambition as a boy at the age of 15. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of options. I was not an academic achiever. <laughs> that is a absolute understatement. But I don't know. When I was just a kid, I went fishing and just fell in love with it. I, it just mesmerized me. It was bigger than life itself to me. And and I started reading about these guys that were making a living bass fishing. And I said, that is me. That's what I'm going to do. And I want to go back to a statement you just kind of slipped by. <laughs> you you said you were were not a an academic achiever. 
there was something taking place in you you didn't understand until you became an adult later on. Explain to our listeners what happened. Yeah, I had dyslexia, and and the little school system I was in, we were in a little uh, small town of Maiden, North Carolina, about 2,400 people, I think, and I may be off some there, but a very, very small town and just a little school, and and I don't know that any schools knew anything about dyslexia in uh, 1958 or 9, so I was... uh, I uh, just read everything backwards, and the harder I tried, the worse it became, you know. And uh, just for you, Noel, Noel's Leon, Leon. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you felt like a failure as yeah. a result. Oh, yeah, I did. I absolutely, I felt like I was the dumbest guy in the world. And my mom, my mom would sit down with me at times and really try to get me to buckle down and do my homework. And she would put some pressure on me, and the more I tried to really get it right, the more I got it wrong. And uh, I just felt stupid. I thought, golly, Mom, how can you be so dumb? And, of course, she would get discouraged with me as well, but I lost all self-esteem. Did you grow up with nobody believing in you? Uh, pretty much I did. I had a very dysfunctional home. My dad was a drunk, and my mother later, by the time I was probably in the third grade, by that time my mom had really started taking uh, medication for uh, depressants and that sort of stuff, antidepressants, mm-hmm. and uh, she'd stay in the bed all the time. So pretty much after the time I was probably fourth, fifth grade on, I was kind of on my own. Like into the wee hours of the night on your own. Yeah, I'd do whatever. Well, my mom and dad separated. My dad was a drunk. My Mom finally got tired of that. She left, and at that time, it was it was no adult supervision or guidance, or I didn't have to report to anyone. And no spiritual direction in your life at that point? No. We had gone to church when I was a kid, and we went to a church that was not really a Bible basic church. I never heard the gospel. I, I can tell you that. I probably did not hear the gospel until I was 16 years old. Hmm. You actually robbed vending machines to get cash to do what? Well, my uncle had a grocery store, and, and uh, man, I'd steal watermelons. I'd steal, I'd break in his cigarette machines, drink machines to get money for whatever, to be able to go to a movie or just to have money to buy food or anything else. I'd just steal. That's what I did. And you said you'd fallen in love with fishing as a child, Were you playing hooky to go fishing? Were you spending all your time down at the pond? I did that for a while, but as I got older, I kind of got away from that. And uh, the 12, 13, 14-year-old age, I was running around with 20-year-olds and staying out all night and drinking and breaking in cigarette machines and anything I could get into. Now, I, I just have to stop here and say what you've described so far is not the resume that gets most people on Family Life today. <laughs> well, hey, God works in mysterious ways, but I, I tell you, my whole life, I am the guy that is least qualified to be on this show. I'm the guy that is least worthy. I'm the guy, I'm the old publican that was beating his chest. I can't look up. I'm looking at the ground. I am very unworthy, and God has blessed me beyond anything that I could ever possibly deserve. Yeah, I, I've got to ask you this question. I was really kind of praying about when to ask it, but I just wonder if you'll share with our listeners how how you answered the question when I said, Hank, what's the most courageous thing you've ever done in all your life? <laughs> because your answer was one of the most fascinating yet courageous answers I've ever heard to that question. You remember how you answered it? I think I may. Uh, I know 
right now, if you ask me that question, how I would answer it. So I'm going to assume it's the same. I was speaking at a wild game dinner in uh, in Georgia, and uh, actually my business partner was there who probably assumed I had some kind of marketing or business degree. I'm giving my testimony, and I have, I'm have i a high school dropout, and uh, I never told that. I was very much ashamed of that, and I had never revealed that ever in public. My wife, Martha, did not even know that. I'm uh, giving my testimony. The Holy Spirit says, Tell them. I mean, you come here, you're the Michael Jordan, you're the <laughs> world champion, you're somebody. But uh, they all think you're self-achieved. Tell them who you really are. Tell them really where I brought you from. You're a high school dropout, and you were mad at the world. You had bad attitude, and uh, I gave you salvation and grounded you and gave you a life. And I want you to tell that story, and I didn't want to tell it. <laughs> and I said, Lord, come on now, I'm not going to do that. So I kept talking, and it's, I just started drawing blanks everywhere I'd go. Every bit of the scripture that I wanted to recite, I could not recall anything. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit just forced me to tell that story. And I'm going to tell you, it will amaze you how many businessmen, yes, how many people that are sitting in an audience at a wild game dinner that are high school dropouts. People came to me in droves saying no one knows. I've never told anybody, but I've got a great job. I've got a good income or whatever is going on in their life. But I, too, dropped out of school. It just amazed me. But what it did, God opened the floodgates that night, and I tell it now on every platform that I stand on. There may be a few occasions for whatever reason I don't get to that, but most every time I give my testimony or do a wild game dinner, I clarify from the beginning, I am nobody, I am nothing, I'm the son of a drunk that God used, even though I had no education, he gave me hope. I don't want to minimize in any way God's work in your life in this process, but I have to think there were a couple of dozen Hank Parkers growing up in Maiden, North Carolina, and only one of them went on to have the success that you had. And we'll acknowledge God was behind that. But there had to be some internal drive in you, had to be something that said, I'm not going to settle for just going down and fishing and, and eating what I catch every day and living life here in the back porch in Maiden. Well, you know, some way, and I, I don't really understand this because I'm a little bit like Forrest Gump. I will quickly admit I'm not a smart man, but uh, I realized if the King of Kings, the creator of this universe, loved me enough to die for me, I'm a pretty special guy. And all this time that I felt like a dummy and a failure, the Lord of Lords gave his life for me. So I'm a pretty special guy, and I started believing in myself, not because of me, but because of him. And I started thinking about, let's don't worry about the past. There is no future in the past. The past is history. You can't go back and rewrite it. So what do we do now that we are where we are in our life? What do we do to improve our life? And from that point on, I thought, my dad used to tell me, we all cannot be everything we want to be, but we can all be faithful and we can all be honest. 
So let's start with that. Let's start with the basic foundation. Here you are a dishonest person. You're the biggest liar that ever exists. And you're a crook. You've got a horrible attitude. Let's fix all of that. Let's set our priorities straight. And let's start living our life and trying to become the Christian that God would like us to be to be a faithful witness. And from that point forward, it all just fell into place. It was not as if I got some great revelation and I decided, okay, here's my business plan for my life. It was none of that at all. It was taken one day at a time with no earthly idea what I was doing. It was just being led by my conscience, which I later learned is the Holy Spirit that we receive with salvation. And I started changing my life. I didn't sit down with a plan, hey, I'm going to get saved and change my life. (laughs) I got saved because I was scared of going to hell. And my life just automatically, the Bible says old things are passed away, uh, all things become new. And that was total reality in my life. Hank, I wept as you told that story again to me, because we live in a culture that uh, makes education sacred, like you're, you're worth more. And that was exactly the opposite of how you felt. You said you felt like you were a dummy. You were worthless. Didn't have value. And I just thought, isn't that really fascinating how God takes us to our lowest point, And that's where he redeems us. And he takes us from that. And he can make you a new creature. Jesus Christ defeated death. He's alive today. What he did for you as a 16-year-old young man, he can do for a listener right now who's listening to you and going, you know, i got my own set of pride problems, my own deficiencies, and my own past that's lurking back there. But people just need to hear what you just said because he's alive. He redeems people. He forgives people who failed. And it's not some story out of of some fantasy land. This is more real than this planet we're living on. I think when you're willing and the Holy Spirit forced me (laughs) to be willing. I didn't volunteer. I was drafted to tell my story. I think once you put that robe of humility on, people will come to you that have all sorts of problems. And I've heard lots and lots of problems, and I'm sure there's millions and millions of problems, but there's one answer. That's what's cool. So a 16-year-old dyslexic dropout, son of an alcoholic father and a mom who's on antidepressants, here's the gospel. What were the circumstances around which you heard the gospel? My grandfather on my mother's side was uh, what we would call wealthy. He was lower middle class, but we were so dirt poor, he was very wealthy to us. I mean, he'd have a $100 bill on occasion, so that's that's how poor we were. And my grandfather uh, had sent my dad to rehab after rehab after rehab, but my dad was named Mo. And I heard my grandfather say that Mo Parker will go to rehab, stay three weeks, be home two days, and be drunk again. He is absolutely hopeless. He's going to live a drunk, and he's going to die drunk. And my dad, when I was 16 years old, my mom and dad were separated. I was at our home with my dad, and a guy came by to see us one Saturday. Came by to see my dad, actually. And he said, Mo, I wanted to talk to you, but I see you got Hank here with you, and uh, I'm not going to bother your father-son time, but Mo, I want to leave you with one thought. If you died today, where would you spend eternity? And my dad was about half drunk. It was about 11 o'clock in the morning. My dad was about half drunk, and I heard him say later, 
that he had drank the rest of the bottle of the alcohol that he had in the house and opened another one and could not get drunk enough to get that thought off his mind. So the next day was Sunday. He called the same man that came by our home and asked for a ride to church. We had no car, no driver's license, dirt poor. My dad got a ride to church. He left our home about 11 o'clock one Sunday morning, a drunk. He came back in about 1 to 1.30 that afternoon, a saint. And my dad started talking to me about Jesus and giving me the gospel and giving me a gospel track every time I moved. <laughs> he was after you. He was after me. It and was it, amazing. He wouldn't let up. He would not let up. Uh, my dad was a absolute saint. His whole life changed. His priority was the gratitude in his heart he wanted to display to the world. He was so proud of his Savior. He was so grateful for what had happened in his life. And then he desperately wanted to fix his wrongs. He desperately wanted his boys, my brother and I, to be saved more than anything in the world. That was his whole desire in his life was that his two boys would be saved. So do you remember that Sunday afternoon at 1.30 when your dad comes back in the house and says something happened this morning? Well, yeah, I do. And I remember him saying, boys, I got saved. I had no clue on the face of this earth what that meant. I thought, okay, he's found religion. There's been times that he's gone to these rehab centers and focus groups and he's come home. He stayed sober for a whole week. So maybe he'll set the record this time. Maybe he'll stay sober two or three weeks. He's found religion. And I, di I didn't know what that meant. It took time for me watching him to see that this transformation that was so unbelievable was real. It was as dramatic as when, the, when Jesus spit on the ground and made clay and put it on the blind man's eyes and go say, dip in the pool of Siloam, and he could see. Uh, my dad, it, it was just amazing. And he turned our whole little community upside down. Hundreds of people. There was a revival like you would not believe. And I'm not saying it was all because of his salvation. There was a church, Antioch Baptist Church in Lincolnton, North Carolina, and People would pull over on the side of the road and get saved in the parking lot. Mm. I mean, it was just crazy. I mean, not even on a on a, a worship day. <laughs> it was just revival really broke out. And when Mo Parker got saved, everybody knew he was the town drunk. He was hopeless. He was the legion. He was the blind man. He was the beggar outside Lazarus Gate. He was the guy. And, buddy, it rocked everybody's world. How could this drunk be carrying a Bible, going to church, and be in his right mind. <laughs> did, did you keep thinking as a 16-year-old, we'll see if he makes it through the weekend, because you'd seen him drunk every day for his life, right? Yeah, I didn't think it would last. I had no clue. But it was so dramatic after a period of time. My mom came home. She cleaned up her life for a period of time. We got a car. We had uh, before we had nothing in the pantry but cigarettes and liquor. We had food. I mean, it was a whole different world. So it was very obvious in a short period of time. This thing is for real. My dad is for real, and I love my dad. But I thought it was great that he was saved, and it changed his life. And he needed a dramatic salvation experience. I'm now beyond my breaking in stores. I've 
stepped it up. I am now focused on fishing. So all of that bad stuff's in my rearview mirror. I'm now a good guy. I don't need a dramatic salvation experience, and it's irritating me that my dad keeps insisting that I do. So I had now got in a very short period of time, probably six or seven months, I'm on defense now instead of uh, uh, rejoicing. And he just kept coming after you. He turned up the heat, brother. And, and he prayed for you. He prayed uh, for you every day, and he uh, told you he was doing that, oh, too. Oh, yeah, all the time. All Every time we'd get to a meal, it wouldn't be like <laughs> we're going to say, thank you, Lord, for the food. Bless it to our bodies. In Jesus' name, it be. And God saved my boys. Oh, Lord, and here we go. I mean, <laughs> it was tough, man. You know, when you shared this story with me, I just sat back and I go, you know, I think some of us have been around Christianity for so many years. We just take for granted redemption. There was nothing to be taken for granted in your life as a boy. Man, I was running like a rabbit on fire. I didn't want any part of it. He would put gospel tracks in my socks. He'd put them in my dry storage. He'd roll them up in my rain suit in my boat. He'd put them in my tackle box. He'd have them on the dash of my car in my cigarette tray because he knew I smoked where when I opened the ashtray, there would be a gospel track. It, he would have them any creative place you could find to put a gospel track. He had one. <laughs> so share with our listeners what it took to get your attention because this is one amazing story. My dad, he stayed consistent, and it broke all fellowship. I wouldn't hang around him very long at all. We didn't go fishing together anymore. It just got too intense, and I had gotten to the point that he he drew that line in the sand, and we could not have fellowship unless I would receive Christ, so we were pretty alienated, and he was devastated by it. I didn't realize how devastated, but he was devastated by the decision that both my brother and I had made that we just weren't going to hang around our dad. We avoided him at all costs. And he went with a group of men from New Life Baptist Church in Lincolnton, North Carolina, to White City, Kansas, to build a youth home in 1975 over the 4th of July holidays. Now, my dad got saved in 1970, uh, so this is five years later. My dad loved to cut up. He had a sense of humor like you would not believe. He was one funny guy. And when they got to White City, Kansas, all the deacons and all the men there from the church, uh, my dad was always the entertainer. He wasn't entertaining. He was in a different mood. And the preacher had stayed back home and preached on Sunday, so he didn't get there until Monday. He flew in on Monday, and uh, all the men told the preacher immediately, said, uh, there's something wrong with Brother Mo." I don't know what it is, but I've never seen him in this mood. I don't know if he's sick. I don't know what's going on, but something's wrong. Well, my dad and his pastor had become best friends in the five years my dad had been saved, so they roomed together. That night, his pastor asked him, said, Mo, what in the world is wrong with you? He said, you know, pastor, my boys have just, they ignore the gospel. He said, I've prayed for them. I've witnessed to them. I've given them gospel tracts. I've done everything I know to do. And my dad was so smart with me. He would never argue with me. I can never remember my dad arguing. I'd always want to argue the Scripture. And he would let me talk, and I would say certain things, and he would say, well, son, let's go back and see what the Bible says about that. He would refer to Scripture, and and so he had me arguing with God, so it was very uncomfortable. (laughs) But uh, he said, I've tried every way, everything I know. And he said, I don't know what to do. And uh, his pastor said, well, Mo, let's just keep praying. So that night before they turned the lights out, my dad said, you know, Pastor, I would gladly give my life if my boys would be saved. That was the last thing he said that night. 
when they loaded up to come back, there were seven men in a van. There was an accident. One man was killed, and it was my dad. And he had left a note in his Bible, and the pastor was just reading the footnotes and flipping through the Bible, and he found a note that my dad had written that said, uh, Pastor, if you find this note before I'm buried, I have one final request. And as instead of you preaching a traditional funeral service uh, at my funeral that you would preach the gospel, I have two boys that's lost, and it may be the last time this side of eternity they hear the gospel. I got saved at my dad's funeral. My brother did too. <laughs> All been different. Sky's never been so blue. The air never smelt so fresh. And I never knew what it was like to be set free. I never, ever, my whole life measured up. I'd never been good enough for anything. And all of a sudden, I'm free. I didn't know what that was like. It was so incredible. And it's more incredible 40 years later than it was when it happened. Amazing what God can do. And to the person who's listening right now, because that's me, tell him what he needs to do or her. Bury it all. Give it to him. He's there waiting. And no matter who you've been, how bad you've been, what you've been through, I said earlier, there's a million problems, but there's one answer. And I can't believe with all the bondage and the pit that I was in, and just a matter of opening up my heart and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide me to accept Jesus Christ, I cannot imagine how all of that bondage, the chains were broken in just the blink of an eye. People said, well, you're emotional. It's your father's funeral. You're making an irrational decision based on bereavement and circumstances. It won't last. That was in 1975, <laughs> and it's greater today than it was then. And you use every opportunity you have to tell others about that Savior. I'd like to say that from the very moment I got saved, I hit the path, and all I did was preach the gospel. But I lived a very selfish period of my life, and I did a lot of things And about Oh, 15 years ago or so, I circled the wagons and I realized what is truly important in this world. And I've made friends. I've won world championships. I've made lots of money that I never thought uh, beyond what I ever dreamt could happen in my life. And the realization came to me through a set of circumstances that it's not what you have. It's not outside. It's not circumstances. It's in your heart. And it's the peace. And I served Jesus for a lot of years, kind of because I did it the way I thought you were supposed to do it. And the last 15 years, I've served him out of pure love. I know how much he loves me. And I'm telling you, there's no hope outside of Jesus Christ. People say, well, this world's corrupt. This world's falling down. It doesn't matter where, what condition the world's in. It's been this way, and that's why Jesus came mm -hmm. to the earth. We're going to talk more about that, but he may be a world champion bass fisherman, Bob. He won that twice, Yeah. but he's more of an evangelist than anything else, and uh, that was clear after spending a couple of days with Hank as uh, we went fishing together. 
little over a year ago. Well, I hope our listeners get a chance to see the video. I know it's running on the Outdoor Channel off and on, and if folks would like more information about Hank and his fishing and what he's doing, we've got a link to his website at familylifetoday.com, and you can find out more about where you're speaking in different locations and just about what you're up to these days. And, you know, as we've talked about the family dynamic and and your dad's impact in your life, I was thinking about dads I've talked to who have taken time to get together with their sons and maybe other dads and sons, and all of them go through the Stepping Up video series together. A lot of the dads I've talked to have done that, have come back and just said it was a great uh, study to go through together, father and son, just being honest with each other, transparent about what's going on in your life, the challenges you face as a man, helping initiate your sons into adulthood, into manhood. And I hope that we've got listeners who this summer will make that a priority. Some father-son time, maybe with other fathers and sons, go through the Stepping Up video series. There's information about the series on our website at familylifetoday.com. You can order the videos and the workbooks from us. Or uh, if you have any questions, give us a call at 1-800-FL-TODAY. We've got a team of folks who would love to answer any questions you have and uh, help you get set up to uh, have a father-son stepping up group during the summer months. You know, listening to... uh, your story today, Hank, I'm, I'm reminded of the fact that all of us have deficits in our background. All of us look back with regret on some of the events of our lives. But the good news of the gospel is that God provides forgiveness and redemption. He transforms our lives so that we can be trophies of his grace. Our goal here at Family Life is to make sure that that message is loud and clear to every mom, dad, husband, wife, everyone who looks at their family situation and says, uh, there was a lot of brokenness here. That's God's specialty, to step in and fix the brokenness through the power of the gospel. And, you know, we are grateful for listeners who share our burden to see every home become a godly home. Those of you who support the Ministry of Family Life today with donations, we are so thankful for your participation in this ministry. As you give, you make it possible for more people to hear God's good news about marriage and family every day. And we're we're pleased to partner with you in that ministry. You can donate right now to Family Life online at familylifetoday.com, or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY to make a donation. Or you can mail your donation to Family Life Today at Box 7111, Little Rock, Arkansas, And our zip code is 72223. And we hope you can be back with us again tomorrow. We'll talk more with Hank Parker, and we're going to hear about how the pursuit of becoming a world champion fisherman cost Hank something very special, something very valuable. We'll hear about that tomorrow. Hope you can be with us for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.